Welcome to the Minnesotan Podcast. We have a uh, tried and true Minnesotan with us today, Mark Manny from Moorhead, Minnesota, uh, originally from Bemidji. We'll get to learn a little bit about Mark and uh, his hockey career, how his coaching career got started, and much of his 13 years, 200-plus wins with the Andover Huskies, and most of all, his lone state championship he won past, this past March at the XL Energy Center. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, Mark, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a, a fun little sesh. Uh, we had a kind of a, a mini pod in January. Our usually a ten minute interview turned into a half an hour, and I was I could have kept going for another thirty minutes. And I said, I want to do a longer session with you. And wow, we had a, a good reason to do so. You won a state championship. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it was great. Did, did you guys? Before we get into a little bit of background about you, did you guys have a little bit of pressure uh, from the girls programming winning? To Two out of the last three. Did you feel a little bit of that creeping up in the in the hallways over at the community center, or just happy for those guys? Well, I think a little of both. Yeah, I think uh, you know when someone in your community, be it the girls' hockey team or, or another program, another sport in town, yeah, basketball uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that starts winning championships. You feel a little pressure to catch up because the natural question is, when are you guys going to do it? Yeah, and, um, it's a pretty tough question to answer for most people. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. I, I definitely going to get to 2022 and, and some of the disappointments that led up to it, some of the things you might have learned along the way. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you growing up. How many kids in your family? You guys started out in Bemidji. How many brothers, sisters? Yeah, um, even just a little, not to change it a little bit, but, but I, I was born in Morris. Um, oh, my dad really? had a farm there. Um, yeah, and then left farming. We lived for a couple of years in Albert Lee. And, and wow, got you to, are a true Minnesotan. Yeah, I've been lived in uh, all most, corners. Yeah, most of them. And, and so we end up in Bemidji in uh, uh, what would have been my third grade year in 19, uh, yeah, I don't know, 66 or something, 67. And, and uh, um, at, well, yeah, and, and stayed there till 70, uh, 73. And um, so five years of school, whatever it, the years work out too. We had seven kids in our family. Um, how many boys? How many girls? Four, four boys and, and three. A nice girls. balance. Yeah, yeah. Where were you in the in the birth order? I was second. Second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, so kind of like the lieutenant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think I was the safe kid, which yeah. I, maybe I still am, but uh, uh, stayed at home not as much as as my younger brother, who's, you know, I don't know if he was. Uh, and Eddie Haskell, or whether he's just like that, but he'd vacuum for my mom on Friday really? nights in high school, and everybody else was going out, and yeah. Um, so, so he second my my older brother actually then got killed in a car accident when uh, when we were in high school, and and so wow. I, I became the oldest. Didn't uh, didn't uh, inherit the the That's type awful. A personality. Yeah, it's uh, so funny. I was going to ask you if you have seven siblings and you're you're sixty years old. Are you sixty two. Sixty two. Yep. Okay, well, you don't look sixty two. Yeah, right. um, I was thinking, do you still have all your siblings? Because I'm fifty four and lost a sibling five years ago. So yeah. it's, it's not that easy. No, it, you got yeah. that many siblings. Well, right? Yeah, the odds catch up to you yes. eventually. And 
the other ones are with us. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's most really are good. up in the Fargo-Moorhead area still. My brother John, uh, who followed me to the Air Force Academy, uh, ended up retiring out there, and he works for Lockheed in Colorado Springs now, and and uh, and everybody's doing well. That's so, really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. What were your What was your dad's occupation? Did your mom work, or did she take? Too busy taking care of yeah, seven but, kids. Yeah, she took care of us, and and that, you know there weren't enough hours in the day for that. I, even when, like when I left home to go to college, my my youngest sister was in kindergarten, and and one of the downsides, uh, you know, to that is that I never really felt like I knew her the way you know a, a, a sibling, and and so she was you know just starting to you know carry her Barbie lunchbox to school. And, <laughs> I was the same. Yeah. I had a I had a brother. Uh, when I was entering kindergarten, was entering Morris University, of Minnesota Morris. Sure, okay. so in like back in the seventies. So I, I know the feeling. Yeah, so. yeah, and and yeah. So so we were spread out, and and um, but it was great being in a big family. I think it gave you an appreciation um, later on, especially like in the military, uh, and and then into coaching, um, because you couldn't always get things your way, and you, and you learn to to share, and I, I think you learn to. You know, even if you didn't like it, do what was good for the group, not for any one individual. And um, that's a good analogy. I never yeah. thought of a big family as kind of a mini little team. Yeah, yeah, it kind of has to be. And, and you know, your, your mom's really the head coach because she's there the whole time, and <laughs> and dad's kind of the skills guy. He comes in and and uh, you know raises does the fun that, stuff, it, well, right? Yeah, or gets the belt off, whatever the case is. <laughs> or, so it's uh, um, yeah, it's kind of. Um, yeah, it, a little mini team. I don't think you realize it while it's going on. You, right. Kinda later on, you figure it out. For me, it was just survival, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of that. And, and you know, the one thing you never had was time to yourself. And and, and in our day, we, we didn't have the distractions. We couldn't just stare at the phone um, all day. So, you know, you come home from school, put your stuff down, and, and then your, your mom would say, you can have something to eat, but then get outside. And, I was and, just going to say, were you a get-outside family? Because oh, my yeah. mom, it was out right now yeah and and you'd cruise around and uh find where all the bikes were and that's where all your buddies were hanging out and and you'd go see them for a little bit and and typically end up playing a game of some sort and be home by dinner time that's right that's right okay so one of the things we touched on in in january i just want to just so people can kind of get an idea uh living in bemidji there obviously I'm not going to go this. There wasn't traveling sports. There was a little bit of traveling hockey back then. It just wasn't as serious as it is today. You hadn't really picked up a organized hockey stick until sixth grade, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, sixth grade. Um, we we played at the outdoor rink. It, it was kind but of there wasn't like an in-house home. team or of any sort. We we just didn't play it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. There so was there was. That. All right, we, I got it. Yeah, and in fact. Um, you know, I don't know if Bemidji still does it. I, I think East Grand does, and, and the Moorhead still through squirts. It, where even the traveling guys have to play in house still. Yep. And and um, so there was a robust in house league, and and traveling was maybe uh, one practice during the week and games on weekends. But it was the, the traveling was kind of a reward for doing well in the in house. And right. And so we probably played twenty games or something like that. In in house, yeah, in, yeah. In well, twenty traveling and, and oh, even probably, traveling, probably like we the in house league was was great. In fact, I just have some great memories from that. And um, where, where there was like four teams in the pee wee in house, and, right. and and I guess four in squirts and and so on. And and there was like a halfway championship, and then you'd kind of regret draw teams, right? Yeah, they yeah. weren't fair, and and uh, 
because some kids have a lot of improvement. I was probably one of those kids because I hadn't played much. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was fun to kind of, no trophy or anything like that. But you, Bragging you rights. To, yeah, and, and if you're one of the better players, there's a little more room for you out there. And, and so, yeah. In the 70s, let's think about what ice, indoor ice was available. It had to be the city rank for sure. Yeah. And then John Glass. It. And that was, then well, you guys yeah. probably didn't have access to John Glass, did you? Yeah, it wasn't even called John Glass yet. And, uh, <laughs> what was uh, it called? Just like just a Bemidji field, rank? Field house. Field yeah. house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and... Uh, um, yeah, and the other rink was was Nielsen Reese. It had a curling club there, which you know it, it, it's funny. So they had two curling clubs because the, the the city rink's got a curling club too. Yeah, well, that's what that's the one I'm talking oh, about. Okay. I think it was, oh, okay, it was called something else. Oh, then, maybe, but, okay. But the guys who probably gave the money to build it, but right. um, the the uh, yeah, so so like you'd get you know those were the days when your mom would drop you off at practice and then she'd go home and make dinner for the rest of the kids. And and then she'd come back and get you, or there was somebody else picking parent you up and, picking you up, yeah but, yeah. but nobody stayed and watched, and and they didn't watch the games. I mean, my, you'd get home and or they'd come get you, you'd get in the car and they'd say how'd you do and and stuff. Yeah. And, and occasionally they'd watch, but but not very often because there was just so much else going on and other kids and, too and, and one car a lot of times for for a lot of families. So yeah uh, yeah. What was uh, did I ask this? What is your dad's occupation? What he, did he do? Yeah, he he was in the restaurant business. He, okay, he ran a restaurant in Moorhead. And, and uh, what that, was it? Well, it was a, it was a place called the Highway Host that that's not there anymore. But at one time there was probably seven or eight of them around Minnesota, and he got into that in in uh, Bemidji actually, and that's what caused the move to Moorhead and, and opened so, a new one there yeah, or something. Yep, and uh, so so moved there, and, and that's that's what he did. So, so we, he couldn't come to a lot of games, I'm guessing. No, he he, he was a he was a farmer. Grew up um, the youngest of, of five kids in um, uh, on the farm, and, and he was much younger than the others. And and I, I'm going to get the dates wrong, but but the way I've kind of construed it in my mind is his mother passed away when he was like four or five. Oh wow! And and his sisters and and brother he had three sisters and a brother and and they were much older and and they kind of left and he was at home with his father who uh, was a pretty unforgiving man I think Uh, you know it probably uh you know what people were like back then farmers especially my dad worked seven days a week growing up and 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 then the restaurant business his place was open you know 24 7 so he was working seven days a week and um but you know the thing that that I always kind of remembered was that He'd he'd go into work at like five thirty in the morning. And he'd come home at, at like five thirty at night to eat. And if we wanted to throw the ball around when we were you know third or fourth grade, he always had time for that. Really? Yeah. So so he would never you know be easy for him to say, "Hey, I've, I've been on my feet all day. I'm just gonna sit around." But we wanted to throw the football or baseball or something. He'd come out in the yard with us and chuck it around. And uh, and he, sports were a big thing to him because. In his life, it, it, it uh, he didn't have time for sports. He always wanted to be an athlete, but there was just wasn't any time. He was doing things on the farm, and and uh, his father felt like that was you know childish games, and and there was other stuff that needed to be done. So, so he kind of made an emphasis for us. It exposed us to to every sport we could play, and um, really appreciated that. Looking back, now other f- athletes in your family said, so did your brother play hockey at Air Force he as did. well? Yep. Yep. You, you you set the tone. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. You laid the foundation for him. I, I didn't want to go there um, at first, and my dad kind of got his buddies. No way. Yeah, it, it was it, – I didn't just didn't think it was for me. And, and 
Um, and, and he got his buddies together and kind of gave the, the old, you know, you know, look at how this might set you up for life. And, um, well, I think they were right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's, um, yeah, who knows what I could have been. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, um, yeah, yeah. My brother wanted to go there and, and he was five years younger. Um, did he want to go there to be like you or want to be there because of what was to offer? Well, he, he got exposed to what it was. I mean, it was just, he would have never known it was, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so he, he got exposed to it. So he kind of knew what he was getting himself into and he met all my buddies and they, you know, when, when, when you're on free time, it seems like a great place. Everybody's happy and stuff and you don't see kind of the, the dark side's not the right term. There's nothing sinister going on, but, but a, a lot of the experience isn't that much fun. And, and, but but he knew what he was getting himself into and, and uh, enthusiastically went through it, I guess, to some degree. But um, when, when he was a freshman, he got hit in practice and, and hit the back of his head on the boards and and, um, and, and ended up breaking. It turned out he, had, he broke his neck. He, he, he had uh, um, some vertebrae that were broken and, and then uh, a, a disruption of the, the spinal canal itself. I, really? I, I mean, I don't want to say anything more than that because I don't know the scientific terms. I don't want some doctor to call you and tell you I'm yeah. crap. But um, the anyway, so he had to have uh, surgery and, and a fusion and, and go through a whole process because the Air Force didn't really want him back maybe. And and, and so he ended up playing hockey, and he, I think he was an MVP of the team one really? year there. Yep, and uh, had a good career there. And Was, and, uh, was Coach Mashiff still there? Um, I think by the time he got healthy, it, it, Coach Matchef was there when he was uh, when he got hurt. By I, I think it uh, may, and maybe one year, but by the time he got healthy again, uh, I think it was Coach uh, Delich. Okay. Um, all right. So I love I I'm fascinated. I don't know why I am um, just because I maybe I had classmates that that went to Air, the Air Force Academy and and some military. Walk through that process of getting into the school. It's not. You know, you're being recruited as an athlete, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you have to get uh, Congress approval. You, I, I actually have an employee, a YHH employee, is going to oh. West Point this year, and I, I had to fill out a six-page background check on the kid. I, I was the one of the people they chose, and I, I, my point is, it's, it's not, you know, it's yeah. not like getting into, you know, Gustavus or Minnesota. It's, it's, it's. There's a process there. Yeah. Well, just. Thinking about that uh, brings up bad memories. I, um, but um, <laughs> when I no, when I went there, um, I I, there, I don't want to say it was a backdoor for athletes, but there was interest in getting um, intercollegiate athletes in there. Right, and, and so the, the process wasn't the same. There, there was like a, you still needed a Congress letter though, didn't it, you? It, well, if you could get that, that was a bonus. Really? Um, yeah. Then, um, but. But in the athletic department, they had a guy who was part of the admissions process. Right. And if you met the qualifications, they there there were some spots kind of set aside. Like, like there's there's other spots too. Like if you're, you, you know, mother or father were a Medal of Honor winner. If right. You had uh, you, you know something else. Uh, I mean, there were like ten or twelve categories where you could work your way around the the congressional. So it wasn't just dumb jocks that they were kind yeah, of. Yeah. So in. like our player Weston Knox, who's going there, I don't think will ever. Uh, maybe it's changed now, but I don't know that he'll ever sit in an interview room with the, the congressional. Group. Really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe he you will. had to. You had to go down to Bemidji or we went to Brainerd. Brainerd yeah, yeah, in a snowstorm. Yeah, it was a 
So no one like there's no way any parent right now would let their kid out of the house by themselves to drive 140 miles to that interview. And my mom just said, "Hey, here's the key. See you when you get back." You know. Um, so, what was the pressure from uh, your dad and buddies? Like, what, what, walk through that. Like, what, what, what was what was uh, what was Plan B? If you didn't do this hmm. military academy thing, it wasn't like there was a ton of other Division One opportunities. No, and, and right. Well, and you just didn't know it. It, it, like Neil Broughton. I don't. It was a, graduated the same year. I, I, I mean, he, I think he committed to Minnesota in March of his senior year. I thought and, it was November, but it could have been March. Yeah, maybe. And and but but the normal way it worked was and 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 Brooks at the time he he was big on guys who won in high school. So so even though there was you know one Division One team and in, in, well two Division One teams in Minnesota at the time. You couldn't go to Minnesota unless you were in a state tournament, or pretty much you were exceptional in, in some way. Because uh, he wanted guys who had a history of winning. He he felt that was really important. That guys who uh, did well but lost might lose the whole team concept side of it. And, right. Um, he wanted guys who just hated to lose, and, and, and so. They, these college guys would go to the state tournament in March, and the guys who looked good would get offered scholarships. Yeah. And, and so so you just didn't know. And the Air Force thing, you know, they need an answer long before then anyway. So Yeah. And, and we weren't going to go to the state tournament. So anyway, my, I think I, – I don't know what I would have done, but uh, I wouldn't have been a Division One hockey player. I, I There was the, the USHL or whatever it was called back then, maybe like the Midwest Junior Yeah, it was something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just something I wasn't interested in, and and um, and that's something that hasn't changed. I still wouldn't be interested in playing junior hockey, right? Um, Forty years later, but the um, uh, I I would have probably gone to like St. John's and, and yeah. tried to play there and and done that. But my my parents and or my dad and his buddies, I think their their tactic with me was which was a pretty reasonable one. It was you don't have to go, but but you'll kick yourself fifty years from now if you don't at least go take give it a look. Yeah, he said you'll be telling all your buddies I could have went to the Air Force Academy, but I chose not to, and yeah, and they'll roll their eyes and and you know think you're lying. But um, yeah, I uh, I I was there. I, I I guess a little bit fascinated, but I, I was there uh, just visiting the Springs once, and we stopped by the school, and it was the day that kids were getting their their haircut and walking. They were walking on some lines. Yeah. You know, these yeah. square lines, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Oh yeah. yeah. They, they were basically, they're checking in, yeah. you know, they were checking in with their bags and they hadn't gotten their uniforms yet, but they're doing all these kind of stuff. And I'm, what, what my takeaway was, I was, I knew the guys from my high school went there and I was like, they were tryhards. They were the guys that were just trying hard in everything. Right. Yeah. And then I thought, wow, there's a bunch of, uh, this guy's name was Dean Riser. There's a bunch of Dean Risers all here in this school. There's, there's whatever, a couple thousand of them. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine how competitive it was at the school. Yeah, it was, and everything was, was graded on a curve. Every test had a, a mean and a standard dev- deviation, and yeah, if you were two standard deviations above the mean, you got an A, and, and uh, really, yeah, if you were two below, you got an F, and and so you have these guys who had you, never you know, got an F or even known what that word yeah, meant, or a right? C. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and. and 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 it, the system's designed so that some fail, and and so um, just by definition, somebody has to. And and so the um, you'd go there as a, a guy like my roommate uh, who failed out. My first roommate, uh, 
had a 15, he didn't fail out, he, he just left, but he had a, a 1570 or something on the SAT. SAT out of and, 1600. And, and maxed the ACT. And um, yet he's, you know, was struggling to Is some it, degree. And Was it the competition? Was it his physical fitness? What was it? Mental fit? What was it? The, well, I, I'm curious. I'm, yeah, I, I Maybe just sensory overload. I, yeah. You know, it's so much going on. And um, and, and by struggling, I mean, again, there's, you know, you get a room full of, uh, you know. Alphas. Rock, yeah, and, and, and rank them. Somebody's going to be at the bottom. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so was what was the hockey like? Because I know you didn't have a conference. It's not yeah. the Air Force that it is today. The one that Weston Knox will be attending. It's, it was a little bit different back then hockey was. The coach was fantastic, at least by his hockey acumen, uh, what was the hockey like? Well, I, I think when I got there, and, and I think it changed a little bit during during my time there, and I, I don't know if I can pinpoint one reason why. Hopefully it wasn't because of me. But um, the, the uh, when, when I got there, they'd just come off a, a year of, uh, um, you know, they, they had swept Denver, I think. And, really? And, and they, uh, yeah, and, and they maybe... Uh, I don't know if they they beat BC, but they were competitive with them, and and they were kind of you know one of those groups that that if the NCAA's was set up like it is now, they they would have been competitive been in. for in that large anyway. And, yeah. and um But I, back then, I think there was only eight teams, or maybe four at one time, that that got there, like the the four conference champs, the the CCHA and the WCHA and the hockey, the hockey ECAC, yeah ECAC, and the, there might have been one more there. But um, the, anyway, so but but it was very hard. Now with sixteen teams, you might have had a chance, but um, th- there weren't that many Division One teams either, twenty five right. or something. There. Yeah. So um, but but the way they did it, it you know, again. Um, most kids came straight from high school. In fact, everybody I knew did. Nobody went to juniors and then came to, to Air Force. Um, so he, he'd bring in 25 or 30 hockey players as freshmen. Really? And, and yeah, and, and five or six would make the, the varsity team, and then the rest would be on, on the JV, JV team. And, and most colleges back then had JV teams. Yes, they did. And, and um, what what happened at Air Force was that those kids were there to play hockey, and if you didn't make the varsity, you just left school. So, it, like twenty of your buddies or whatever who didn't who didn't weren't lucky enough to make the varsity, they just at Christmas they packed their stuff up and left and said, "See ya." Did you play JV your first year? No, um, no, I, I I had a chance to. It's actually kind of an interesting story, at least interesting to me. Um, the I I was I, I was like a fourth liner, I think, yeah, okay. and, and our first trip was to to play U.S. International. And, out in San Diego? And, yeah, so so you're going on a trip to San Diego. The, the best part of it was you were getting away from the Air Force Academy for a weekend. The second best part was you were going to play hockey. And um, and you were going – I'd never seen an ocean at that point. So uh, it was going to be especially fun for me. But the the day before the trip's going to go, I, I'm just having a bad day at practice. I, at, at least according to Coach Matchefs, I was. And he was just riding me. And, and, and all of a sudden then – I, I wasn't scheduled to, but um, after the varsity practice, the JV was playing a game against the club team from Colorado University. And and he, we came off the ice from practice, and he called me in his office and said, you're playing in the JV game. And, and so I, I was a little depressed. So anyway, I, I went out there, and, and uh, um, I got like four goals in the first period, and we were up like five to one or something. And he said, you can 
quit now. And, and I, so it, in his mind, I'd gotten taken off the trip to San Diego and then in the course of that one period got put back on the trip. So so went out there, didn't get a shift. Uh, I probably got two shifts the first night we got killed. Um, and this is a team that was our first game, but they'd, I think, already beaten maybe North Dakota and Minnesota really? and Denver. And so they, they were, were good. really good, really good. And, um, and, and so the second night, I, I don't get much, and, and with about, I think we're down like, uh, I don't know, nine to two or something, and, and there's about four minutes left, and we get a five on three, and and there's an offensive zone faceoff, and, and the, the guy wins the faceoff to me on the wall, and I give it to the blue line, and that guy shoots and scores. So I, I got in like two seconds of ice time, I've got an assist, and, and like I'm excited, my first college point, and I come off the ice, and he goes, what are you doing? Get back out there. And and so now it's a center ice face-off. We lose a draw. They ice it. We come up the ice, and, and we, we kind of have like a, a three-on-two, and, and a guy shoots, and the goalie makes a save, and it pops right on my stick, and it's like a wide-open net from about a foot away, and I bury it. <laughs> and uh, now I've got like 15 seconds of ice time and, and a goal and an assist, and and uh, I'm thinking maybe he should have played me 20 minutes. Right. We'd had a chance, but um, maybe, I, maybe I got one more shift that game, but that was it. So next week, I'm on the first line. No way. Yeah, and, and we're coming up to play Mankato, who... They were D2. Yeah, yeah, but they were really good. And, and Steve Carroll was their goalie, and I think he made about... If, if he had 5,000 saves as a college player, he had about 2,000 that weekend. And... and um, <laughs> I couldn't buy a goal, and and uh, I might have had I, I might have set college records if I could have buried my chances that weekend and and came away with nothing. And next week I was back on the third line and lived in anonymity for the rest of the year. Kind of yeah. just muddled my way through. Uh, walk through as a coach today what Johnny Matchiffs was to you as a you know kind of a college coach. What do you, what do you take away from the way he taught the game, or do you just throw it all in the trash and have your own system. Well, I think you learn a little bit from everybody around you, and, and maybe not just hockey guys, just role models and mentors and um, people you respect. To, but but Coach Matchefs was, um, as a player, we didn't really know why we were working on things, but um, at some point it became crystal clear to us. And, and he, he was big on the process, not on, on the result or, or the actual event. And, and by that I mean – like a lot of the stuff that that we do at Andover, that if the kids ever listen to this, they'll, they'll appreciate it. But but we worked on getting stick on puck, and and we didn't know why we were working on it or why yeah. it was kind of mundane. And and we worked on angling a lot, and and we worked on um, moving to open areas a lot and little things that, that this is in the early eighties. Yeah, yeah, and and um, we did that stuff a lot. He was a huge student of the Russians. And and um, and the Czechs who were very similar at the time, right. and, and so he he studied that as much as he could, and then brought a lot of those concepts to us. And he knew that we wouldn't have the skill to compete, but if we played Wisconsin, um, he still expected us to win. And and he was trying to find a way to neutralize, you know, All their, their skill, skill advantage by yeah. by keeping possession of the puck. And um, so. So we worked a lot on on angling and regrouping and and um, trying to find a way never to dump the puck in. Back when college hockey was still a, a, dump and chase a yeah, dumping bang and 
and uh, go up and down the walls. And, and so we had a lot of flow in our game at times, though. And, and, and when I was a freshman and sophomore, we had the skill to do that. But by the time I was a senior, um, where we'd, we'd had uh, a bunch of kids leave school, I think going into my senior year, we lost all six defensemen and our goalie wow. who'd been the starter for three and a half years. And, and they didn't all graduate. I mean, Air Force is a, a place where not everybody succeeds, and yeah, I think one or two guys might have gotten into trouble with the honor code, and and uh, and a couple others. They they came up with a program where you could just take a year off and come back, and all you, and a couple guys did that, and pretty soon you're looking around the locker room, and, and there's not many guys you recognize. So wow, that's crazy. And, and again, like uh, like we said, it's not a place where you can just call up a bunch of no. recruits in June and say be here a week from Saturday. We're, we're gonna no give you a free haircut and let you run around. So <laughs> No, that's not it. Um, so I want to go through the the Air Force, you know, set for life kind of thing because um, everyone has this impression that it's, that it's easy. Um, uh, after college, what were you required to give at the time, and has that changed at all for as, for as the commitment after? So, some has changed and some hasn't. Uh, basically, if you don't become a pilot, if you just uh, – go in the Air Force and be an acquisitions officer or, or something like that, mm -hmm. um, it's five years. If you, I think, oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't know what uh, a pilot gets you now. When when, when I was there, um, it was uh, seven years. Pilot training, which was a year long or a little more than a year. Did you ever fly in your four years there? Mm-mm. So you don't fly until after well, graduation? you fly, you get like 15 hours or, or something, and you solo in a – a Cessna 172, um, but it's really That's a prop plane, right? Yeah, yeah okay, it's just yep. a little uh, four seater, and it's you and the instructor, and you you get a so one solo ride during that, and and but the main purpose of it is to to find out if you are going to be a guy who gets sick every time he flies. Right. That's a big part of it, anyway. Yeah. And, and an introduction. Some guys fly, and they they realize they're scared of it. They're, there's nothing wrong with that, but. It's really an introduction to see it, you know, before they go waste a bunch of jet fuel on you, whether it's something right. you can handle or, or want to handle. Do Are there, like, rules? Gosh, this is just came out of nowhere. Are there rules about height? Like, being a pilot, being too yeah. tall, or, yeah. or vision? I think that that was one of them, too. Like, yeah. Like, um, 20-20 vision, or, uh, the, things well, like that? Um, like everything else, that depends on how bad they need pilots, you know? Like okay. They, they, there's a waiver for everything, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, yeah, there's height minimum and maximum height. Uh, I think maybe as David Robinson from right. the Naval Academy was, was too tall, but th basically the height isn't the issue. It's the sitting height. Okay. L like uh, guys who have a real long torso, torso. Yeah. But some other guys can be six, six with a short torso and be okay. they, they don't mind your legs being a little crammed in there, but it's, it's really for ejection seat purposes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. You were a pilot, obviously, and we won't get into you flying Air Force One in great detail. Um, walk through, you, you see a training after college, what would we call it after college? Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You yeah. got your, you earned your degree, right? Yep. And then you did a year of flight school? Yep. And mm -hmm. where was that? I, I was in Enid, Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, not married at the time? Nope. Okay. Nope. Um, and then um, you spent some time in San Diego? Yeah. Um, San Bernardino is where our base okay. was. We lived in a little town next to it called Redlands. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – um, you, you talked about 2020 vision. I, I'd lost my vision a little bit uh, my senior year at the academy. And, and so if I was a year older, 
um, I wouldn't have been pilot qualified uh, because my vision would have uh, uh, disqualified me. I think my eyes, uh, uh, one eye was twenty sixty, and the other one was twenty fifty, and, okay. and twenty fifty and both was the the limit of the waiver. And they came up with this thing that, and, and their big fear is, and, and you know, it seems kind of silly now, but um, if twenty fifty, they figured you if you lost your glasses you could still land the plane. Right. At 2060, evidently, you were sure to crash. And so, <laughs> um, the, so it, and anyway, so they, they needed pilots my year, and so they extended the waiver, but they they made you uh, what they called uh, uh, tanker, transport, or bomber only. They didn't want you flying a single-seat fighter. Right. Um, because the plane's more precious than the, the, the pilot, <laughs> probably, to them. And, yep. and so... Um, I went to pilot training knowing I couldn't fly fighters, and so which takes a lot of the pressure off actually, because pilot training's a pass fail deal. I mean, you either make it to be a pilot or you don't. It's like medical school. Really? Okay. You know, last right. grad still a doctor. Last right. grad in pilot school still a pilot, and um, and and actually that helps you right when you take pressure sometimes off yourself. You can relax and and be pretty good at it. Right. And I, I think I did um, pretty good at pilot training. And so you so, did that, and then what did you? What was your occupation after flight school? Cause yeah. a lot of, don't a lot of guys go fly commercial? Well, or is that is that looked down upon, or is that looked up upon? No, I don't that, even know. that's that's um. Well, you got to do your six or seven years first. First, so, okay, yeah, all right. So I I, I got a, a cargo plane, a C one forty one. It was called. It's a uh, it's mostly retired now. Replaced by the C seventeen, and 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 so our job was to when you're new anyway you you they assign you to a trip and and so you you show up and and go fly in the pacific and it was a bunch of guys you, like i was 23 um my aircraft commander the the captain was probably 26 and and we had three enlisted guys with us and and they were probably 30 or less and and they gave us a plane and we took off uh, you know over to the Japan or Europe or wherever we were going, we really didn't know what we were doing, but uh, and then you'd be back in ten days. Really? Yeah, that, and a lot, sometimes you you landed somewhere and somebody else took your plane and you waited for another one to come in and you'd take that one. And um, there were kind of standard trips that left every day or every week or every other week. And um, so spent a lot of time in Japan, the Philippines. Um, were you living on bases then? No, just an apartment off base with a couple other young guys. And okay, and they were enlisted military as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, enlisted people are, are different. Uh, pilots are, are what they call officers. Yeah, officers. Um, so, yep, and, uh, and um, yeah, they were just uh, guys I knew from the academy. And, uh, so were you a lot of yes sir, no sir in that situation? Not really. Really? Yeah. I mean, so no. You show up and you don't have to like stand no, attention and no, I mean, call so your superior officer, sir, and that kind of stuff. I I was kind of. I'm just curious. I have no idea. I, I I do that anyway. I I don't know if I was really raised that way or if it was something that I got at the academy, but um, it was um, you know, informal for most. Um, okay. Some wanted a little more formal, and that was okay. You kind of would read, read the room, right? Yeah, right. This guy's a general or something like yeah. that? You're standing... Uh, typically, when you're on the road, too, it's... Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of studies. This is getting a little off tan, uh, off it's course okay. here, but... Um, I think people you know want to know that, about it, right? That, well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some talk about in the cockpit about the, the God syndrome, and and they, they feel like there's some, some cultures that have led to, to aviation disasters because of it. And, um, 
and there's cultures where they, 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 the male figure in the family is never wrong, for instance. Right, and, right. And in on the flight deck, the, the, the captain's never wrong. And you would never think of disobeying the captain. And, right. And, and so um, everybody, uh, commercial airlines or, or military or what have you, they spend a lot of time on on um, using all your resources in the cockpit and, and everybody has a say and, yeah. and you know, it, it's encouraging to think as a team and, and do things as a team. And, and um, if somebody has a, a, a question or, or isn't comfortable with something, they're allowed to ask to kind of voice. Yeah. And, and they're protected um, by, by policy. And, and so um, at the end of the day, there's gotta be a decision maker, but they've done a, a lot of work on trying to, to get it to where um, somebody who sees disaster impending has a, a way to bring it up without repercussion. Right. So you did how many, so you did your seven years after, right? I did, uh, well, yeah, I didn't get to the seventh year. I, I mean, I, um, I, I, I flew those cargo planes for six and a half years, and my plan was to get out at that point. And um, my wife knew an executive here at Northwest, and I, I'd just gotten married. And, and my wife, the idea was we were going to get out and try and get on with Northwest and, and yeah. move back to the Twin Cities. And she knew an executive, and, and she called him or or, or something and, and, and said, hey, my husband's a pilot in the military, I think probably 3,000 hours at the time, and uh, he wants to fly for you guys, and, and what's the process? Live and, in the Twin Cities, yeah, et cetera, right? And, yeah, and uh, he said uh, this would be a, a good time for him to stay in the military. And, uh, really? Yeah. And, and so we, we because there's no it. openings, right? Well, there were openings, but those guys, they can read the future. And, and, um, I think they, they kind of knew that there was going to be a huge slowdown coming. And at, at what the year time, was that? I mean, sort of been 1990, right, 90, early, yeah, early yeah. 91. Yeah. yeah okay. All and, right. um, so yeah, I, I was planning to get out like in August of 91. And, um, so yeah, he, he said it'd be a better idea to stay. And, and so I, and then I had to start looking for a new job within the Air Force because I'd kind of run out of time uh, flying C-141s. And, and so I I looked for a new job and found one. In the military? Yeah, in the military still, yeah. Okay, uh, you brought up, just you just said 1991. Uh, there's Gulf War I, and then there's mm-hmm. 9-11. Were you involved in either of those? Not, I'm not saying, yeah. did you, what did you do, but yeah. were you involved... Uh, from a military perspective, yeah, we we had a, um, we were all involved in the in Gulf One back then. There was we set up an air bridge. There, um, military learns from a lot of these um, conflicts, and and so there we had nothing prepositioned in the Middle East. So we we had a bunch of guys here stateside and some troops in Europe, and we had to get them all to the Middle East somehow. And and uh, so so we'd go on the road, and and the way that that Air Mobility Command, who I worked for had it set up was they, they sent a bunch of pilots and airplanes um, to Europe. And so, um, and they left a bunch of others in, in the uh, in the U.S. And so, let's start out, let's just say we wanted to move Fort Bragg, the 82nd yeah. Airborne there. And, and so about 50 C-5s and C-141s and C-130s would converge there and they'd all get loaded up and, and we'd fly them to Europe and, and maybe do a couple air refuelings on the way and then somebody there would we'd we'd land they'd refuel the plane a new crew would get on and take them to 
um, Kuwait or, you know, at that right. time we were going to Dahran and yep. in Saudi Arabia. Somewhere there. that was yeah. safe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and land them there, and then they'd get refueled and, and may, or maybe go to bed in Tent City there, and um, normally they'd get refueled and fly it back to Europe, and when they got there, somebody else would grab it and take it back to the States empty and pick up another load. And and so we would go into what we so call. So you were moving the, both equipment and humans, yeah, and soldiers. Yep, yep. And uh, and then they had like they they drafted some commercial airliners to take the troops over as many as they could. Could yeah yeah. Because yeah. they, they were set up to haul three hundred people. People so, yeah yeah. yeah. Um, and and so we'd get into what we called the you know the stage over there for a while. It was in Germany, then it moved to Spain, and and then um, there was a couple others too, maybe in England for a while. And so you'd go over there and and and. It, for like six or seven days in a row, you'd just grab a plane coming from the States and take it downrange and then come back and go to bed, and the next day you'd get up and do it again. And um, and then after about seven or eight days, you'd, there'd be a plane that took all the crews back to the East Coast. And, and then I think it, we – I don't remember if we started out with – we had the uh, – Donald Trump had an airline back then, and we got on what we called the Trump Shuttle and – and they drove. They flew around to all the bases in the U.S. and dropped us off. And really? Yep. So, so you did this for from ninety to that would have been in yeah August of ninety. I think is when we started mm-hmm. ramping up through. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, the next spring. But from a, from an occupation perspective, what year did you end up getting out of the military and serving all these different facets? Um, well, in, I was in. Um, just to recap of the whole thing in in California, flying the cargo planes eighty four to ninety one, and then um, in Washington from ninety one to 04. Okay, yep. got it. And then you retired. Yeah, retired. Retired military. Um, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting story how you got to Andover. Um, your wife's from Anoka, right? She's from Anoka, and, and and she had gotten a job up here, and and so yeah, we we moved. I I was the one pushing to move up here. I. I, I just felt like like I, I, I we've probably covered this ground before, but I I know our kids they'd have grandparents stay at school and everybody'd bring in their grandparents and, and no except our there. kids yeah and, yeah and and we just lived in an area where there weren't a lot of military folks at, at some schools it was probably All. fairly common because there were so many transient people there but um, we were about the only ones at at our kids' school and and so. And, and you know it's great. Your grandparents are great. It's fun to be around them and right. and uh, get to know them. And our kids didn't have that opportunity. I thought it'd be great to to kind of get back up this way and uh, for the quality of life, but also to, for the kids to spend some time with their your grandparents. All right, let's talk. I'm going to shift hockey to hockey a little bit. At what point you would put down a hockey stick? Did you play any hockey? Or would you just after when when you played your last game in Air Force? Had you been to a hockey rink? Had you done any hockey over this? Tw- Not that I'm discrediting yeah. you. I'm like because you had a, lo- a few other things going on in your world. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Um, I'd been back for a few alumni events at Air Force, and um, I had my brother playing there, so I spent a lot of time there for a few years. Like our job would be, like I said, to to fly in the Pacific, and and back then, like um, like if you. Well, I mean, I don't want to make, expand this too much, but but the there's a, a weird um, kind of balance in your life when when you're in your 20s. You have an apartment that you're paying, you know, you're sharing rent with a couple other guys, and and but yet your job was to be on the road all the time. So right. so you'd pay rent, but when you're on the road, they're paying you per diem, and and so our per diem sometimes would be 
if we were in Japan for a week, it'd be like a hundred dollars a day. But you're eating that Burger King because that's the only for place on base. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you'd come home with about eight hundred dollars, and it was easy to fly up to Air Force and watch a couple hockey games, or to, right. uh, to fly to Minnesota if that's where they were for the weekend, because the Air Force was essentially paying for the trip, and and so. I spent a lot of time at hockey games, and and um, but but not playing or coaching or doing anything. That that came in in two thousand one. I decided to bring my my son back to he was uh, just turned six, and uh, you were living in D.C. at the time, yeah, right? And, and we wanted to fly up here and, and watch the state hockey tournament. So so we did, and then, and Moorhead was lucky enough to get into it in it, and and so. Uh, we met up with them and, and watched them practice one morning. Uh, I don't remember where they were at, but uh, um, rode on the bus with them a little bit. And my son thought that was the neatest thing ever. And we went home and he said, he's, I'm going to start playing hockey. And so uh, the next nice year. Move. I, yeah. So I started coaching too, a little bit with him. And, and so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got back into it. All right. That's usually how it works, right? Yeah. You get kind of sucked into it. And then you moved to, you moved to Andover and it was because of hockey, right? Cause the Andover program was just, this thriving, awesome hockey program. No, not yeah, really, right? Not, no, no. Did they have the, the rink was built though, right? Community the, the center. Rink, was built? Yeah, the rink was like, a couple oh, years seven. old. Yeah, okay. and, right. and and kind of when we were researching places to live, at, you know, just like Andover it was kind of a newer community. It seemed like and, right, and we we didn't target there, but it was one of the places we were interested in. And um, yeah, it looked like they kind of had a fledgling hockey program, and um, you know, maybe something that we could grow with. Right. So you get there and you're not, are you coaching uh, your son in squirts or peewees? No. Uh-uh. Okay. In fact, that, yeah, I, I, my hope was to show up and sit in the stands and not even, uh, never get involved in it, to be honest. Right. And um, then what, what was the magic moment when you finally got uh, the whistle? Well, like, like, like everything else, it, it starts with a parent dispute a little bit. And uh, I think we had some parents who weren't fond of the coaching staff and, and long story short, the solution um, of our youth board was to put me on the bench with them and, and kind of be a liaison there and maybe bring a little bit more of a... Balance some things out, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Do that. And, and so that was my first year. And then um, the next year, they, they gave the, uh, the head job to me. These guys had had enough and moved on. And, and, and so I coached the Peewees the next year. But after I'd already committed to doing that, um, Bill Thorson, our high school coach... Um, approached me and and asked if I wanted to be his assistant and um, so this is you had just done one se- a half a season of peewees yeah yeah I get um so yeah. a half a season of peewees gets you the well here assistant yeah, I mean, coaching yeah. job well it's pretty good I was a JV assistant I mean it wasn't advanced puck shuffling it was just basic puck shuffling okay all right, uh, all right. so um yeah so it, it wasn't and, and so yeah I did that um my first year and then about halfway through that year um, Bill asked if I wanted to come on the varsity bench too. And, and so I did that. And then eventually he just kind of asked if I wanted to take his spot. And, and we had to go through a little bit of a process to make that happen. But, uh, yeah. Wasn't there something, I think maybe it's more different pod where you were asked to coach, but you were just sitting in the stands or something like that? Um, well, that was how the peewee. I mean, oh, it was the, just a peewee thing. I was but just then they a, asked you to come to the bench, or what was that? What it no, was? No, uh, uh-uh. 
Uh, I thought it was like something to do with the bench, and then you came when you stood on the bench for the first time, or maybe it was you were the JV coach. Yeah, JV that was coach it. You were the, the JV varsity. coach, yeah. and then you mm-hmm. came to help out on the varsity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Billy had we we talked about this before the show. It's the old young kids thing, right? When yeah. you have really young kids, it's really difficult to coach a high school hockey team. It is. Yeah. Um, your kids were obviously grown, and and it kind of just fell into place. How many years do you think you? Th- thought you were going to coach when you ended up becoming the head coach there? What did you think? Um, well, not much, but but just back to my kids real quick. Like I was, that that first year when I helped out with the Peewees, my son was actually on that team. So the next right. year, he was a Bantam. I was coaching Peewees in high school. So I, I didn't, I maybe got to like five of his games all year. And then yeah. the next year, he had another year in Bantam. So I didn't get to, to, to many of those. And that was a couple of tough years of my wife who now had to get to all of his games and, right. and not that she didn't want to, but it just becomes more of a burden on the family, which creates other issues. So um, now back to that, how long was I going to coach? Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, um, I, I, when I got the, when I became the head coach, which was Bill and I were co-head coaches in 2009, 10, but, in in Bill's mind and in mine, I, I was the head coach. It was a procedural issue again, like you talked about. My AD, I don't think was was real comfortable. Well, he he bought himself some time. What he right. if we were he, co head coaches, he he could observe and number one and and see if I you know was well, going to work out. Yeah. yeah, and and then number two, he he um, he had Bill to watch over it, and and so. So we did that for one year, and and it, it worked fine. But but going forward, when two guys are in charge, is is a you have to be pretty special. Now the Vanelli brothers could make it work because right, you know they could probably they just, knew their role, yeah, right? Yeah, and and um, but it's a little more difficult with with others, and and especially so many decisions, um, you know, just off the ice. So right, and with and it's not like you and Bill had any discord because he has been your assistant for years. Yeah. So it's not like it was like, oh, we hated each other. Someone has to be in charge, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of my feeling on it. Yep. And, and um, so so then we went through an interview process, and, and I got the job there um, by myself starting in 2011, or the fall of 2010. All right. Um, and what was your vision when you started? Um, survive? Like, let's survive? Or you knew, you knew Billy's oldest kid, Gunner, had a pretty special group. Even at that point in 2012, they they were they were um, 10 years old at the time and cleaning up pretty well in District 10. Yeah, um, yeah they, well, a lot of guys have special groups at that age. Right, and they, right. It doesn't turn into anything, but um, they, um, yeah, they, we we were doing starting to do better at the youth ages. I think the the main thing is that that we just had depth at those age groups and and. You, you, at the old, we had a couple of older groups. There, two thousand ten team won very good. Won, won seventeen games, and and but there wasn't any depth to the program. Those guys were great peewees and really good bantams, and and some guys just didn't love hockey and in a way to keep going. Or, or a lot of them grew early, which right. is a big advantage at youth hockey, but isn't a big advantage in high, high school. school. And and so. Um, what we had was depth at Gunner's age, and we had fifty good hockey players. And when you have fifty, you can find twenty at high school. And when you have twenty, you can find ten at high school. So, 
that was the big difference, and, and it's still the difference. Right. Um, those teams were, were good, and you kind of knew they were coming. Uh, Charlie Shane's group, uh, a year or so before that, yep. you knew you had some, some competency here, so you just patiently waited. Is that kind of what you were doing? A, li- a little bit. Well, I, I don't know. I, I didn't look that far ahead. I, okay. I, I think we, we had um, – there's a few other ups before then, like 2012 when – we had a team that, that back then um, there were nine Bantam A teams in District 10, and only eight of them made the playoffs. And when the 2012 seniors were in their second year at Bantams, we were the ninth-place team and didn't make it to the district playoffs. Right. But that team, when they were seniors, made it to the section championship game. That's and, impressive. Yeah, and, and there's a, a couple of things. We had, we had balanced lines. We had three lines that were all about the same. Um, we had uh, enough defense, and, and we had uh, a really, really good goalie um, in Chase Perry. And so um, we, we – and we – one of the keys, I think, it, you know, it, to me, I, I, just my history, maybe others totally refute it, but when we have done well, we have had a small core of seniors – that knows their role and and their seniors and and by then some of them most of them have figured out whether they're going to play hockey beyond high school or not and that's a key yep and your all your skill is is younger and because sounds like your 2022 team a lot like it and uh 20 when when you have younger skill they play without fear or pressure right they know they don't ever see like if we lose this might be my last hockey game ever they they just play, and and they don't have to worry about other guys. They, they don't leading or or you know the music in the locker room or anything right. like that. They just go, and yeah. so um, and we sounds had that, like your first line from last year. Well, a little bit, yeah. You and, know, uh, twenty, but yeah, in twenty twelve, we had a lot. We had the line of seniors who were big and strong and skilled, and but they weren't the the scorers necessarily. Right, all our. Scoring came from other guys. Tyler Vold was a freshman on a team, ended up playing at Bemidji State. Talk about young, right? Yeah, Chase Perry, our goalie, was a sophomore and, and ended up playing in college too. And, and and we had a bunch of forwards who just got up and down the ice. And the only thing really holding us back was that was the year Duluth East had a team for the ages. And, yeah. And so, um, we, I mean, they dominated us in the in the section finals. But, but um, anyway, so – so that was that, and, and again, like a, a program our size, it's hard to sustain that. The next year, we had almost everybody back and finished 500 and got beat in the first round. Right. And uh, the, the next year, we had a pretty good team again, and then we kind of went through a down period. But um, 20, um, 2018 is kind of when we these got These were the disappointments back. coming, yeah, right? right, yeah. <laughs> Big time, right? Yeah, and, and 2018 team was a lot like, uh, like I uh, described where – a lot of our skill was juniors and sophomores with a small group of leaders, and but it was everything you wanted, right? Yeah, and yeah, it, it's a. Uh, again, we were we were heavy underdogs. We'd gotten beaten oh, in running time game. by Duluth early in the year, and kind of found ourselves up two nothing in the third period of the section championship, and had a hard time finishing. And um, and the better team won that night at the yeah, end. Yeah, but boy, that was a heartbreaker. Yeah, um, those two years in a row must have been tough. Yeah, the, the second one was a little tougher. The first one, my father had just died the week before, so I was a I little distracted. That. But um, I had a lot going through my mind. But the, we played great in that game, and and uh, the next year when when Shane and and Nick Dainty were seniors, and um, Ben Fritzinger, uh, our goalie, um, 
uh, when I thought that was a, a really good team. We, we, we had uh, the natural scoring and creativity. And you had the young, you had the and, young guys, right? Yeah, and, and so they were the closest to the 2012 team we've had, and um, you know that was a game where kind of got the felonies only refs in the section <laughs> final, and it was uh, you know prison rules or whatever you want to call it, and and we just weren't built for that kind of game. So. No, no, no. It was kind of a perfect, uh, perfect storm for for Mike Randolph. Yeah, and it was still it was two good teams going at it. We'd beaten them in overtime during the regular season. Down and Andover, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we knew it was gonna be a tough one. They came out on top, and that's the way it goes. And so you get there in 2020, mm-hmm. right? With this this super team, you know, the Gunnar Thorson group. Yeah. Uh, what a what a fam fabulous group of kids that was. Yeah. Um, and you get you, you. I think you, did you go running time in the section final too? Yeah, every, all the games in the sections were running time. Right, yeah. and you're number one seed. I mean, there's a. I hate to say a little bit of pressure there, uh, not on you guys, but just uh, to succeed. And and just the complete opposite happened. Walk through. Was there a learning curve there? A process there for the for you as a coach and and as a community and a high school hockey program once you finally got there yeah I, well i think that you know the first time yeah you go to the state tournament you're you're being torn in so many different directions trying to figure out the hotel and and what to do with your downtime and and when to have a bus come and and how to you know occupy the kids time and and uh your, your tickets were a big thing always and and not only that, but like that, you know, my fellow coaches, they're great, but, but every one of them has advice for you. Like <laughs> super hot in the locker rooms, bring fans. Hey, you know, you want to make sure because the game might go overtime or the game before you. So make sure you have plenty of snacks for the kids. Hey, you know, there's, you got to have Gatorades and, and. So you now know, your head, yeah. talk about, you feel like information overload, right? Well, yeah. And so the game kind of becomes the secondary thing, but, but the, you know, like by this year when is our third year in a row. It, the booster club guy goes, okay, what do we need for the state tournament? And nothing. <laughs> we're we're going to go there. We're going to be hot in the locker room. We're going to be starving, and uh, but we're going to play hockey, and uh, we're going to work like on that. hockey. Yeah, it's just just too much, and, and everybody's got what works for them. And, and uh, so um, – It worked? Well, yeah, you know. To, yeah, it worked? It worked, yeah. Um, so you had two disappointments, obviously, uh, 2021 – I, 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 you ran into a, a, a conference opponent, you ran into Maple Grove and you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were good. I they, mean, they were really good. I, I think, you know, well, I, I think that, that we'd gotten beat at our place, uh, three to two, I think maybe they'd gotten a couple early power play goals or, or something. And we'd come back maybe and tied it up and then they, they got the winner and, and I think people are like, geez, you know, they've kind of closed that gap. They're pretty good. And we as a coaching staff were like, oh, my God, I don't know if we could play any better than that. <laughs> Not only that, I think they weren't very good tonight. And so right. um, we, we we knew that, that we were going to have to be special and they were going to have to have an off night. And now, that the the Will Larson goal? T- I had all your goalies Will, straight. Will was you, a, you had one was, goalie a year pretty much, haven't well, you? Will was the goalie in the first two. The same 2020 and 2020. Oh, he was. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, yep. All right. And, and so he had experience down there, which helped a lot. Fritzy he was, was very 19. Good. Yep. Got yep. It. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and so he was, uh, yeah, Will was very good and held us in that game for longer than we deserved probably. But they they were deep and, and came in waves and, and uh, 
Yeah, we held on, but but you know that was a game that would have taken a, you know a no, monumental. Yeah, it would have been a big achievement. And then this year, speaking of goalies, you had a we we named Austin Bronze our goalie of the year. Were you surprised when his name popped up on the internet? Um, a little not well. No, there's nothing surprising. Austin's been very good in our program for a long time. Yeah. And he's got the right demeanor. He's super calm. He's a great teammate and a great kid. And, and so we thought he'd have success. To, um, for him to be the goalie of the year, um, again, not surprised, I don't think, except for the fact that, you know, the two other guys who've kind of been out there for years. Uh, Those are a lifetime know. achievement, you know. Yeah. Marco yeah. And, and, and Darty were. Yeah. But for us, we look at the year that he had, and especially, and I said it right on the broadcast, his four games consecutive, yeah, Rapids, Rapids, you know, Moorhead, yeah. Hill. I mean, what he did and, and the way he, in the some of the saves that he made in those four games were we're goalie of the year material. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Thought he and deserved it. He, not, he, not, it wasn't even close. So, like, it was a unanimous vote by our staff. Oh, interesting. That's great. Well, he, and he, he earned that. He he's, he had the year. And I, I had an opportunity to coach um, um, Dardis and um, Bilak for for a weekend just not, not long ago. And, and they both asked how uh, how Austin was doing and talked about what a year he had. And, and they're wonderful kids and would have been great uh in you know honorees as well but i'm glad austin got it but um the way we work things um for the most part is nobody gets the goalie position it's kind of something they earned so yeah we started out rotating them and and yep. uh owen peterson was our other goaltender who was the always the kind of odd kid out growing up he's he you know b kid or, or on the second team yeah. growing up but he was he came to summer camp the last couple of years and and looked really good and and then watching him uh, over the last year in, in JV and stuff while Will was playing the varsity games, we felt like it was a fair competition to have. And so and we told him we'd rotate him and we'd find a starter and, and go from there. And um, so um, Owen ended up beating Rozo in the opening weekend in, right. in Minnetonka and played well. And, and then he started his next game was Osseo, I think. And uh, he went to play a puck and, and just kind of, collapsed and, and hurt his knee dislocated really? his kneecap and and stretched some ligaments and and uh had to miss like eight games so what well, well he's gone um uh bronze gets all the starts and and he beats maple grove and then we we tie wyzetta two to two and, and then we beat duluth east and blaine i think he shut both of them out and and then he, he beat Creighton durham hall and gave up one goal and, and gave up Hill Murray and gave up one and yeah, it's like Lou Gehrig, right? Yeah, like, and, and you so don't get the net back. Yeah, and and so uh, Owen got back then just after that. But but how do you not play bronze at that point? And so, um, it, you know, it wasn't the best way for it to happen, maybe. But but sometimes that's just the way it does happen. And so uh, from then on, uh, Austin was pretty much our starter. It was interesting. Uh, we 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 met or did a pod before the Rapids game up in Rapids, and that just happened to be a game that I went to cover. And I don't know why I was picked that game. Maybe it's because it was such a big game. And what a weird ending! Have you ever seen something like that in your life? No. Where <laughs> penalty no. shot at the buzzer, and it was a good call. 
I was yeah. right there. It was a good call. Like I'm like, they could call a penalty shot here, and sure enough, it went up. Did, have you ever yeah. seen that before? No, uh-uh. But but what those guys? I I've been. I was surprised at a lot of things those guys did that night. Uh, the guys with the, the refs. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah there were a couple odd uh, calls. I mean, well, for about 50 minutes, I didn't know they could lift their arms. To be honest <laughs> with you, because. <laughs> there I was mean, some there head was, contact. I will yeah, admit that well, there was. Yeah, it's uh, that page must have been ripped out of their rule book because yeah, we had that one guy get killed in yeah. the corner, and that guy's arm didn't even go up. And then when uh, when Knox hit a kid, is I thought he was gonna grab uh, an airplane going overhead. His arm <laughs> shot up so fast, and that, that led to a bench minor. And uh, yes, that's uh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it went to five on three. Yeah, that made. But a, you got a, out of it though. Yeah, five on three, and we had the worst penalty kill in the state. To, and uh, so I just thought that was the end of the game, but our boys battled. And, and then, yeah, got a chance with the penalty shot at the end of the game. So. I think that game had a lot to do with the outcome of your section final. It yeah. gave you a little bit of a chip. Well, I, I think it did a cu- two or three things. And, and uh, you know, Wade Chido is one of, one of my great friends, uh, and it's fun battling with him. And um, But, but it, yeah, number one, it, it – kind of made us the underdog even though we were the number one seed um, number two is it, it made us a little tougher because we found our that um we had some guys who maybe weren't up to that challenge you're, you're gonna get refs in the state tournament who don't call much either and and so we need to find a way to play that way but um number three it it, it just kind of made us a little more determined we gave us let us be vulnerable if we win that game up there i don't think we win the section um, but because we lost, it, it gave us a little purpose. And, and, and the third thing, or the last thing, is that um, in the section championship game, it, the, the penalty got called on them like 30 seconds in. Yeah. And and they the last time they'd played us, you know, there was... Zero. Yeah, almost. Yeah, I think yeah. They, they called that one guy for cutting off somebody's head or something, <laughs> finally. But, right. But uh, it's... Uh, it, it, the, the, yeah, now there's a penalty 30 seconds in, and, and the subliminal message that's there is... This is going to be called tight. Now we need to kind of re rework our tactics here, and and so. that was one thing I know. I know you guys don't listen to our show, but I think we had repeatedly said one or two or three weeks after that game how much more physical Grand Rapids was than you guys in that game. Yeah, in that in that game and leading into the section final, we were a little nervous. We I don't yeah. think you guys were soft. I just thought they were so heavy and yeah in that game. I um I love their team. Actually, I, I really, I, I love their first line. Um, um, and I, again, on that, that team where I, I had the goalies, we, we had uh, Garrett Drotz and, uh, and Nelson as well was on that team. And, and yeah, and, and they were just outstanding kids. And, and I love the way Easton Young plays and, and Joey Del Greco and the Sterl brothers. And not that I can name their whole You're roster or anything, there. but You're pretty but, good. Well, and, 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 but yeah, I, I love their team and, and I like the way they played. So, so did it was, I. Um, yeah. Um, so, so I, I knew it'd be a big challenge for us. And the one thing we kind of had going is we, we caught on fire, um, on the rush late in the year in the playoffs anyway. And did you um, ever, yeah. And, and, and it really kind of manifested itself in the state tournament where it, it, it doesn't happen every year, but like when Casey Middlestad had the puck, there was a little buzz that would go through the crowd. And, and in my era, John Rothstein, the, the, to bring up a Rapids, Rapids guy, yeah. kinda, he was a guy who, when he got the puck, everybody kind of uh, got in the edge of their seat. And um, and Neil Broughton. And, and when Ga- 
I, the middle of that tournament, when Gavin Thorson got the puck, uh, people kind of, yeah, they got up on the edge of their seat because something special might happen. And um, and so um, I think that, that along with everything else we've talked about, I think we raised our game somewhere in there. I think you did. Yeah. Um, there was a goal, I think this would have been in the championship game, uh, where Caden Casey literally took it end-to-end end and beat everybody. I mean, he beat all six Maple yeah. Grove guys in one play. I, and I, I think I tweeted, uh, Caden Casey has just scored the greatest goal of his <laughs> lifetime. <Yeah. laughs> um, Do yeah. you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, yeah, it was a great shot if it's the one I'm thinking of, too. Yeah. Um, he, he, um, he, he's a special player, and, and he's um, um, an unassuming kid in, in this era of um, let's post my accomplishments on social media. Uh, he, I don't know if he has any social media accounts, and he's almost awkward when he tries to to be that kind of kid. It's um, yeah, that's he, a good thing. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's really a treat to to coach, and he, he's a little like me. I, I was once described by my coaches that you don't even think he's listening to you, but then when you look out, he goes and does exactly what you want him to, and that's that's Caden too. He, he's Caden. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, Caden, and, and uh, he he he. He doesn't really act like it's important to him uh, when you're telling him, but then he goes and does it exactly the way you want him to and um, and does it without fanfare. Um, I know he doesn't care who gets the credit on our team. Now, I, again, I, I'm going to ask you some tough questions here. Do you think you're going to see those three kids back? Uh, yeah, I do. I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, yeah. I, you know, if they go, that that's their prerogative, but – um, the indications I get, I, I think, you know, that they'll be back. Cause I, I think they're having fun. Number one, I think it's, uh, um, it's something that they'd like to repeat. I, I don't know that when it would, is what would bring them back. Um, no. but, but I think they are having a fun time being kids. So, um, but you know, we'll have to see who shows up in the fall. You never know, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's options. You never world. know. Yeah. Um, I think we got to the point, uh, the, the, what did you learn? You learned to be yourself uh, would be one of the connections between that 2020 disappointment to the 2022, right? Uh, I've, yeah, I found a way, not every game, but in most of the games this year. And, and Brett Barta, my assistant, kind of the guy who got me there without, A, trying to get me there, or B, realizing that I got there. Is I, I, I found a way to detach myself emotionally from the game. Um, it, it's easy sometimes to, to act like you're playing in it yeah. and, and, uh, you know, when that happens, especially with me and I don't know how other guys are, but, um, when I get a little too emotionally into it, then I start riding the kids who make bad plays and, and, and it, things turn negative on our bench. And, um, if I can, um, just watch the game as though I'm watching video. And, right. and make uh, a, a small correction here or there. That's how I operate best. And in, in the state tournament, it was um, a lot of that. Very little coaching, a lot of patting on the back. Like, hey, you, you know, maybe if you're going to be critical, it's like, hey, we remember we want to get a deep th- there or right. whatever. It's, you know, or, and, a- and, as opposed to get the damn puck deep, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because there's yeah. two ways to say the exact same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Wyatt Kaiser had told me a couple of years ago, too, hey, don't worry about the refs. We'll uh, we'll kill the penalty if it's a call. He would say that to you? Yeah, oh, yeah. He'd just say, hey, we got this. Don't worry about it. You know, and, and, and he, you know, he, he had a kind of an, uh, a, 
40-year-old's outlook at uh, things. Is he the best athlete you've had in your 13 years? I mean, it's pretty easy to say that he might be, but you got plenty of good ones there. Um, he is the, well, he's a phenomenal kid, and, and I talk to Wyatt all the time, so I, I don't want to say anything that he would construe as as being a critical of him because I'm, right. I'm not critical of him. He's He was outstanding. Yeah, he could have played seven sports at Andover High and been good in all of them. Um, it would be between he and, and Weston Knox probably. Yeah. Weston is a phenomenal kid, uh, to, two totally separate kid, different kids um, in a lot of ways, but very alike in others. Um, uh, Weston is everybody's best friend. Why it was a little moodier at times. Yeah. Um, but it's a, um, yeah, it, he's really good. Um, uh, Weston, did you have any influence on Weston choosing Air Force, or was it just coincidence? Well, coincidence. At really? The end, it, yeah. Um, I I was talking at the at the Blo- our Bloomington Holiday Tournament uh, to one of the Air Force assistants who was there watching and. Um, and Weston walked by and I just introduced him like I would have, uh, if it was, you know, any player. Yeah. And, or any coach even. And, yep. and, um, and, uh, his dad called me and said, you know, Weston, I would love to go to air force. And so I, I just, you know, put those two people you together. Just did two and, plus two. Yeah. And then they, they worked it out from there. I didn't, but Weston didn't uh, ask for my advice on it. They, they brought him out for a visit and, um, and he liked it, I, as far as I can tell, anyway. And and we've talked about it since, but but um, yeah, no, it, just, it wasn't just, since his sophomore year. Coach Manny, <laughs> no, no, a lot like of these that, right? kids though, and, and Weston's one of them. He, I, I mean, they, they keep their in, intentions close to the vest, and and um, he, he was one of my. I would have never known that, and he would have never offered it. And uh, right, um, yeah. So it, luckily, his dad called and we we have a good relationship so he felt comfortable doing that and and yeah he, he got there because uh just because he said hi that one day and yeah so, well, that's and, pretty cool yeah that, that's pretty cool yeah. and i i thought he would be a kid who might play college football yeah I, well his his friends are at andover higher all football the kids who he's closest to a they they play football and run track together, and and um, yeah, I did too. But the thing Weston, I hopefully understood at some point, was that he, he's going to be a special player. He he he's a kid who, even though his his dad's involved in off season hockey and and stuff and and in season, um, he, Weston hasn't played a lot of hockey. No, and he when he gets healthy, when he's not so banged up from football, um, he's going to be a real special player. And I think so too. He's one of the most natural leaders we've ever had, so he he has that going for him as well. So. Yeah, he's a rah rah guy. Yeah, he right? is. Yeah, there's a, there's there's two types of leaders, right? Yeah. He definitely would fit into the rah rah and a good rah rah guy, he, right? He, even more than that, I, I'd say Weston is a guy who's never had a bad day in his right. life. Or if he has, you'd never know it. Yeah, he he is uh, happy to to show up every day at school or at the rink or whatever. He's just happy to be there, and, and you'd never know he was upset about something. Um, let's talk about uh, you're a little bit older of the in in the coaching community, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of young coaches who might be listening to this. What what's the one advice you would give to a like a Jay Ekman type? So you know, an up and coming coach like Jay or or Bartle or these guys that you know. What would you? What kind of advice would you give these guys uh, as they're coaching or, or getting into their coaching career? 
Well, I, I think there's, you know, a lot of stuff. I, I, it wouldn't be about hockey, any advice oh, I gave him. Okay. I, I think just because um, everybody sees the game in their own way, and, and you have to be true to that. But um, I, I would just tell him, that, you know, to anybody, ne- just never forget it's about the kids. It, it's um, it, You're going to win and lose a lot of games. And, and if you live and die with wins and losses, or if you coach to win a, a specific game, um, then you're going to be miserable at it. Um, get them to be the best they can that particular day. And if you happen to win, then great. If you happen to lose, we'll go back and reevaluate and get them to be the best they can the next day. Right. Oh, that's good stuff there. Um, the, the magic question that we hear often in the, in, in the, around the rinks, we'll call it in the, whole, in, the, in the lobbies, is how long will Mark coach uh-huh. at Andover High School? Mm-hmm. Is this his last year or, you know, um, uh, or do you have – do you have ten more years in you? I yeah. I, I mean, a, yeah. if you look at the Andover youth program, the uh, the uh, cabbage patch is full of talent. So you could have some you could have some fun here. Yeah, I, let's put it that way. Well, I, yeah, I, I think our youth program's at a point where uh, we've got a lot of good coaches there, and and a lot of families that want their kids to be part of it, and that's an exciting thing for the future. Um, I used to say every year that when when Barta wanted to take over, I'd let him be the head coach, and I'd just, you know, step aside and and buy a ticket. Um, but um, I don't he, think you're going to ever have to buy a ticket, Mark, ever again. You want a state title, right? Well, yeah, don't you just walk him out? Do you know who I? Don't you know who I am? Well, actually, I think Andover lets people in over sixty for free, so I I'd probably <laughs> get in. in. I get in. in that way. Um, the the, uh, um, but. You know, you know, he hasn't said that yet. So, um, so, um, I, I evaluate it this way: when when the season ends, um, I, I typically don't go to the locker room at all for like two months. Um, yep. My office there. I, I just, um, good or bad, as I found out this year, um, the, the I, I haven't been there at all, and I just have a hard time looking at it. I think the season takes so much out of you emotionally that. It just takes a while to kind of recharge and, and forget about it. And um, so about this time of year in, in middle of May is uh, I'm a little – I'm wondering whether I can take another year and, or want to do another year. And, right. and what typically happens is I, I've, I've made the decision that I'll, I won't make any decision un, until August because what I find is that we get into our summer camp and we do six weeks, four days a week. And right. We, we used to play like four weekend tournaments because that's what the kids wanted, and so right. so it'd be seven days a week essentially for June and July, and and at the end of it, it I usually say, man, we, we might be pretty good this year. This might be pretty fun, and, and I'm I'm ready to go again. And right, and and so I I don't you, you know when you go you want to go you don't want to quit and then start grousing about it or right or whatever. And so I'm. When a decision comes, whatever year it is, probably won't be till early August, I think. But, um, but August of twenty twenty two, you're going to be the head coach at Andor. Yeah, as far yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. All right, so you'll be back so. next year. One year, we have to ask you. We have to do a it's podcast an, yeah, every year. Yeah, well, it's a, it's an every year. It has been for, you know, probably yeah, six or seven years. Probably, I I, I always kind of, I guess, I kind of thought like. I'd stay till till Kaiser's group got through because right. they were going to be good, you know. Um, but after twenty nineteen, I, I thought, geez, maybe maybe you know, so such a 
a disappointing loss in the section final, and it was two in a row, and you just kind of think, well, maybe, you know, this isn't for me, you know, and, and so. Really? Uh, That's interesting. Know, well, yeah. There's, I mean, there's even detaching yourself from the, the process emotionally. I mean, there's some losses that, that just really get to you, and and that was one. I, I mean, I, in 2012 in the section final where East had their big team, I I mean, I was okay with losing. I, 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 there was really very few scenarios that, that were, we were going to win, not at the time, but looking right. back on yeah, it. Yeah. And and so you can reconcile those in your mind. But 2019 was, was hard for me. And, and, and at the end of the day. Because you had a lead, right? Yeah, we had, we had a lead in 2018, too. We just didn't have the better team that year. But we still, uh, you know, would have been a great representative. 2019, we had a, that was a back-and-forth game where both teams had a lead. And, and uh, yeah, and then we, we – lost on a, a power play in overtime um and and but but it was just a such a gut-wrenching loss because we that was a team kind of built to to maybe win a state tournament we had right. great goaltending a three-year starter we had uh a three division one defensemen or, or yeah. two on, on that team we we had uh a bunch of division one forwards on that team and and just kind of thought like that might be the the group to pull us through Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, this has been a, a fun time catching up with you. Uh, I really appreciate your time here and look forward to watching the Huskies next year try to defend their state championship. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tony. Had a great yeah. time. Mark Manny, head coach of Andover High School.